0: Welcome to another Echo Punk Salon, and normally we try to find topics that uh, allow for a depth of philosophy and economics and politics, and while today's topic is no exception, I think it has a more esoteric component, which is living with animals, which you would think is a topic that is really straightforward, but the more that Jan and I started to talk about it and think about it... The more we realize, like most of the onions that we tend to peel, it does seem to provide more and more insights the deeper we get. So uh, these, the format for our salons, of course, are meant to be just a far-reaching conversation. In good. this case, we've got goats uh, knocking over Jeanette's tripod, which... I have to say, is the kind of action we've always been looking for. Yeah. But we like to start with a provocation. And historically, we've been turning to Jan for a provocation. Although this might be the last time in which Jan offers consecutive provocations. There will be provocations again in the future. Um, But Jan, why don't you, before you do our provocation, give a highlight of how we're changing that format. Exactly, Uh,
1: because, you know, the thought is uh, to make it a little more interesting and uh, a little more um, inclusive. We want to basically pass uh, the mic around week after week and assign people uh, to uh, present and develop provocations, uh, right? To give everyone uh, the opportunity to to tee the discussion up here once in a while and to make it a little less boring for everyone, right? Because I do that all the time. It is kind of boring. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, mind meets matter. And uh, Merle kindly uh, was volunteered to uh, present the provocation, which he undoubtedly will do in his uh, usual uh, incredible manner here. So, what uh, what is
2: next, next week's topic? What is it? Minds meet matter? mind Mind meets matter.
0: What does it mean? So instead of mind over matter or matter over mind, what happens if the body and mind are one? What does it mean if the body and mind are not separate the way that Western civilization has insisted for centuries? What if the Cartesian duality is false, that in fact the mind and body are exactly the same thing? Tune in next week for this mysterious, deep, and bewildering discussion. Until I then, see, let's return to Jan and his I see
1: comments. panic. I see panic in Jens's face. It's like in the Smith song: "Does the body rule the mind, or does the mind rule the body?" That's what it comes down to, right? But Jens, don't don't worry. You've got a full week to get get on top of this. So here is today's provocation, right? I think I uh, remember it quite well. I was nine years old, a big soccer fan. And uh, I watched uh, a soccer program uh, on German television, Die Jens, you will know it well. Yeah, and there was a little feature about the best German striker of the time, um, Rudi Feller, And it, was, it, it really, really touched me, although I was very young. Um, again, I was nine. And it showed Rudi Feller, the best German striker, taking a walk with his German shepherd in a forest. And even at that time, I thought and I had the awareness to realize, wow, you know, this German shepherd does not care whether Woody Fuller got benched or whether he scored three goals or whether he got a red card. The German shepherd lives for this walk and loves Woody unconditionally, right? But it's not only that, I think animals also allow us humans have a last a very very last outlet and release for unconditional love um, and uh, those who don't believe me should uh, see and observe grown-up man uh, like Christian who can't make it today six foot two tall and strongly built uh, when he interacts and talks with the cats Boy, you haven't seen anything like this but we don't care because cats and animals don't judge us. We can be ridiculous and just ourselves, and that is beautiful. So love, the last bastion. That's my um, provocation.
0: Well, and and what's interesting about that to expand upon is I think it's more than love. I think it's a sense of self because I think that mm. we're different people depending on who we're with. And I think part of the, you know, I often hear people use the word innocence or purity to describe mm-hmm. animals. And and my animals are neither innocent nor pure, but they do provide me with an ability to be sort of, for lack of a better word, my true self, my inner self, right? Partly because their judgment is different, because I do think they judge us, right? My My dogs judge me whether or not I have treats in my pocket or not. Their criteria for judgment is certainly different than how humans would judge us. But I think in addition to your, your really profound point about love, there is a sense of identity of who we get to be with these animals, which I think is also really incredible. And, you know, Jeanette, I think I wanted to throw to you only so we could get a close-up of Jen there, who, you know, is... Uh, a, I would, ne- if you had told me five years ago that I would fall in love with a horse, I would never have believed you, let alone having the courage to be close to a horse, given how initially I was just terrified of them. And yet I'm absolutely enamored and in love with Jen, who's right over your corner. So I'm curious, what does living with animals mean for you, Jeanette, given that you live with so many?
3: Well, I mean, I would, you know, just to go back a little bit to what Jan was talking about, I think um, it's easy to find aspects of yourself that uh, you weren't aware of or to explore a different side of yourself with animals because they they are so radically different. Um, and at the same time, we are animals. That's something that, you know, there's a lot of human mythology predicated on separating us as different um, from the rest of the animal kingdom. But Uh, It is something we all share in common, yet at the same time, this is a non-human being. Um, They are radically different. They have a completely different way of perceiving the world, of understanding it. Um, So when they judge us, their entire criteria for judgment will be different than a human criteria. And I think that's where the really interesting stuff happens, because... um, it's very easy to get locked into a kind of a human centric way of seeing the world or interacting with the world. And being with animals forces us to broaden out um, and explore a different way of engaging with our environment and a different way of engaging with ourselves and others. Um, and I think that's why when Jan was talking about, oh, well, it opens up this avenue, this this new capacity for experiencing love. I agree. I, I would say there are other capacities it's opening up for us uh, that can come out of that interaction. Well,
0: and it, it sort of raises what I think of as one of the central premises of the ecopunks, which is we are nature, right? We're yeah. not separate from nature. We're part of nature. And I think your point about we are animals is, is something we can forget, right? We're different than other animals as humans, for but sure. we still have all the same needs and potentially instincts that animals do. Jan, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I, I want to really chime in on the judgment criteria that animals uh, apply. And, and I think the point that you just made, Jesse, is really important here. We are nature. We are animals. Because the um, criteria that animals apply to judges have basically been ingrained uh, into them by birth, genetically, so to say. They are survival mechanics, and it's all about care And uh, nurture, right? Nourishment in terms of food and uh, everything that you would expect in nature in any herd from the alpha lead animal of the pack. And uh, I guess, you know, most animals uh, see us this way because we also behave and present ourselves to those animals in uh, that way. And uh, to your last point, Jesse, uh, which is an important one ecosystems. Right, The Natural Ecosystems, this is a really, really great book here, Uh, T.C. Boyle, Talk to Me. It's uh, basically a a semi-fictional book about a scientist who uh, tries to teach uh, chimpanzees how to talk. And as in every T.C. Boyle novel, uh, no one wins in this novel. There are no heroes and no one is happy in the end. Because, uh, you know, with the human desire to teach the chimpanzees to talk, there is a human uh, expectation that the chimpanzee loses its, um, you know, concept of hierarchy, etc., right? And that there is a problem. So when Jesse leads the goats around, uh, taking the lead goat by the leash, Jesse, you do that for a reason. You do that in order to address the hierarchy, right? And I think therefore those judgment criteria, they are natural ones. It's not even judgment.
0: And and it's funny you say that. Just uh, quickly, Jeanette, then I'll throw to you. You know, Jeanette often gets really angry at the animals when they don't behave in the way that she expects, except I have to remind her, well, the dogs are just being dogs. Or the goats are just being goats, right? And I think it's interesting how we project our Uh, expectations our morals our judgments onto each other and yet when we do it onto animals it's easier to stop right and so what I was thinking about Jan when you were describing that ironically is the professional application of living with animals because on the one hand living with animals is making me more sensitive it's making me a better listener it's also making me a better communicator it's also making me better understand how to work with teams, especially diverse teams, because of the different ways I'm having to approach these animals. So I think you know it's easy to marginalize or dismiss the experience we get from living with animals, but if we go back to the original premise that living with humans is living with animals, and by experiencing other types of species, it actually helps us deal with humans and be a better human In our larger society jeanette go ahead
3: i actually just want to go back to the i mean what you brought up about projection but address jan's uh allusion to this idea of the alpha you know and a hierarchical structure you know classically that model is associated with a wolf pack but it's been applied it's interesting you brought up the Boyle thing because one of the the most flawed aspect of early primatology of the early studies of primate groups was that researchers went in looking to find human structures, and of course they found what they were looking for. They were not looking at these animals on their own terms, and they were seeing them through their own filters and projecting human structures there and It turns out this is this this thing about the alpha wolf or the alpha dog is entirely fictitious there's This is not actually how canines organize or interact socially, but it's so powerfully resonant with us humans because of course we like that model that it has persisted despite decades of debunking now um so i think it does say something about how animals are we want to look at them as a mirror and it forces us to confront how much projection is going on and and as jesse pointed out that's a great tool to have in order to now examine how you're dealing with other humans as well
0: well, and in part because I, I am certainly guilty of projecting that hierarchy onto the animals. I do it with the dogs. I do it with the goats. But to your point, Jeanette, I think it's influencing my perception of human leadership, right? And, and the goats are a classic example because we've over the years had three clear leaders of our goat herd, right? Originally, it was sort of Lucy, and then Lucy lost influence to Elaine, and then Ella came up. But that leadership is entirely contextual, right? The goats will follow Ella uh, unless there's a better option, like better food. And then they'll bail and they won't follow Ella. The same way with the dogs, for a while, Harriet was at the top of the pack and then Sophie clearly eclipsed her. But then Sophie got pregnant and all of a sudden there wasn't. So, if anything, while I, yes, am projecting this kind of leadership onto people, At the same time, it suggests that our human leadership is not as rigid, right? That human leadership, as the U.S. Republican Party, I think, is currently experiencing, is not always clear-cut. And it's often difficult to decide who to follow. And maybe we need more dynamic leadership models, as we see in herds, right? As we see with horses and other animals. So I think there is a lot of insights in terms of going back and forth between our prejudices that we project onto animals but also the way that animals organize and the way that we can learn from it in terms of our general uh, uh, uh observations and insights yeah and you posted something in the chat do you want to elaborate on it
1: yeah just briefly uh you know you mentioned um uh, on the attributes pure right innocent in the context of animals and uh you know, as uh, I think Janet was talking. Um, yeah, I was, I was uh, just, just thinking of a book that I currently read, right? And um, uh, what is it called? Emotional animals, care animals, right? For people who need to relearn how to uh, even have a relationship. I have a really, really good friend who uh, has a history of um, yeah, abusive relationships. And she is currently learning uh, everything, relearning, including tenderness and affection with her dog, right? And, um, um, you know, I find that really interesting that um, innocent and vulnerable animals who, you know, have nothing against us, right, even if they have to, have that power to enable us and um, propel us emotionally so strongly, right? So, so, so I found that really, really interesting. Um, and then I wanted to briefly uh, check in with Jens here. Jens, when you spoke earlier about your, your dog here, I mean, we speak really nicely about animals here. It sounded like you have a slightly different relationship with your dog. Um, well,
2: no, it's not a different relationship. I'm still stuck with your provocation, Jens, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you my... were talking about love. Oh. I mean, okay, okay, yes, but uh, See, was, we are talking about animals. Is, is it love or do we just like them? I mean, do, do, I, do I love my dog? No, I don't. Do I like my dog? Yes, I do. Is it love? I don't know. It's, it's, uh, for me, it's far beyond... Uh,
0: <laughs> well, why, did, why don't you elaborate on that,
2: Jens? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a great
1: point, Jens. Go, go on. This is a good point.
2: I'm just thinking, is it love? No, it's it's animal. I I cannot love an animal. I can love my wife. I can love my human friends. But can I love an animal? Just because it got some human traits? I don't know. For me, I I, I don't love animals. I like animals. I like my dog, yes. And I loved my water turtles I I had when I was young. Yes. But I didn't love them. I don't see. I I think think the, the concept of love is might be, from my perspective, a little bit misleading when it comes to
0: animals. And and the reason I... Perhaps I'm beaten off by someone here in the group. uh, I don't know. No, no, no. Uh, The reason I like this argument is because it fits within our larger concept of projection, right? That maybe we are, you know, to Jeanette's point about the people who originally started uh, 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 studying orangutans and apes, they were projecting human structures and human values, Right. And, and maybe, Jens, that's the, what you're describing, that we are projecting our emotions onto these animals and they may be having different emotions. Now, Merle had his hand up, but David, I also saw you had your hand up. David, are you responding to what Jens is raising? Is this like a hot pursuit? And remember, you're muted. So you would have to unmute for us to hear you.
4: Yes, I was just wondering, I was going to ask Jens. If, well, let me say it this way. Having put down animals and been broken hearted by that action, um, I wonder if that broken heartedness is a reflection of love. I think having been at the bedside of the death of patients with whom I've more distantly connected and dog and my dog, my grief over the loss of my dog, I must confess, have always been stronger.
0: And I mean, that's a, I think an excellent, but uh, not uncommon admission, right? I wonder how many other uh, medical professionals would probably have to confess the same thing And I, it's been a long time since I have faced the death of an animal, and I wonder how I will react, even though we have had animals we've put down here, but none of them have been an animal that is like a dog, that I've had that attachment to. But I am wrestling with Jens's provocation, right? And it does make me wonder the extent to which we are projecting, although David's experience, I think, is equally profound. At that the there sentence, are... Jesse, go ahead.
4: As I was listening and uh, to our, you know, kind-hearted reflection on our relationships with animals, I'm thinking also of the relatively steady stream of social media materials that have set my way, showing many versions of our relationships and many versions of the relationships that animals have with other animals. And some of it, I'm, I find horrendous, like when jackals attack giraffes, um, or when you know all lions are left on the svelte to fend for themselves because they're no longer useful to the pack. And I I see a a, a heartlessness and a cruelty. ...that uh, is only mirrored by the behavior of some human beings.
0: Well, and it, again, kind of questions the, the correlation between our emotions and animal emotions. Because the other thing that I very much learned upon living with animals... ...is how emotional animals are. And in particular, uh, envy and jealousy as one of the more common emotional traits... Now, Murley, you've patiently had your hand up for a bit as we've been wrestling with Jens' provocation. Um, by all means, I would love for you to address what Jens is saying, but I assume you have something you wanted to say before that, that you're welcome to stitch into this l- larger tapestry that we're putting together.
5: Uh, well, I want to touch on sort of a couple of points there. I think the the notion of animals as innocent, uh, as innocent and sort of... Um, you know, not having malice kind of is a reflection uh, that we don't see that in ourselves, that, you know, for animals to be innocent, we have to be the ones without that innocence. And I also think that the the concept of of loving an animal, um, it sort of happens on our own terms. Insofar as there are some animals that you love and some that you don't Um, so pests for instance mice bugs spiders for some uh, you know those are often unwanted animals and I also think about food production and how you know most people don't have a relationship to the cow that they're eating or the chicken that laid the eggs they're eating or you know whatever animal produce the dairy that you're consuming um so i think it's yes you can i think you can love a pet Uh, i think that the relationship has to be two ways and uh another point we were talking about in terms of communication animals don't communicate with words so it enables and and you know Uh, encourages other forms of communication and animals are highly intelligent but they i think are more likely to be you know uh, thinking in terms of their survival instincts which affords a different kind of communication um but it also affords a different relationship because the love that you know we might feel in return is probably a different it's in a different context for the animal it's more about survival
0: well because i often argue to jeanette like she's like oh the dogs love you i'm like they don't love me they just want my food they just want my treats right there is a kind of utilitarian right to make yance's argument even stronger there is a kind of utilitarianism that we tend to project onto it and i see jeanette here really wants to object or jump into that but before that,
3: that Sorry. How's that Bef- different from people?
0: Okay, we'll we'll come back to that cuz I think that's really relevant, but I want to ask Murley a pointed question. M- Murley, you of all of us here, your point about food supply I think is really profound. Cuz you bottle-fed a cow, that was a calf, you helped raise that cow, and then you helped slaughter that cow and you ate that cow. So I have two questions here. Did you love Munch? And do you love eating Munch? Yes, to both. I think <laughs> the,
5: it, to bring it back to the whole notion of survival, there's always going to be um, this sort of cycle where you have to kill and or harvest uh, from living things, whether that be plants or animals, In order to survive and that isn't really going to change like even if it's you know meat grown in a lab it was still living at some point it may not have had a conscience uh it may not have had feelings or emotions but there is that cycle of life and so i think that's again what i mean by it's on our terms you know we ascribe a certain amount of intelligence or emotions to animals i think for our own conscience so that we can you know get by without all becoming vegans uh but yes i did love munch and i also really enjoyed eating her
0: and and not to uh get ahead of ourselves in terms of a future salon that i think jan would really love us to have but how do we know plants are not conscious Right? How do we know that plants are not having their own experience? Hence why the vegan argument always seems a little uh, uh, flat-footed to me. But Jan, you've had your hand up, please.
1: Yeah, I uh, also wanted to briefly uh, get back to Jens's point, which I thought uh, is a brilliant one, Jens, very well made, Uh, particularly coming uh, from you. Uh, And I want to briefly elaborate on this a little bit. Right. Uh, those who don't know Jens, Jens has got a really, really busy wife, uh, life and a busy wife too. Sorry, that was a Freudian. His wife is a medical doctor. Jens has four children in the ages of thirteen to nineteen. Runs an ad agency and is a lecturer at a university. In other words, uh, Jens's life is full of people and activity, and uh, you know his priorities, you know, are maybe different than mine. And he also has different outlets for his love than I have, who is notoriously single and is also a single dad every other week with one child, right? And with that, I want to briefly comment on what David said and introduce Ben to everyone. Ben is my cat here. uh, And Ben passed away uh, in August. And, David, I can absolutely relate to what you said. Um, My first dog was put down when I was 18 years old, a a Rottweiler, go figure. We got her when I was six years old. And this was my first experience of loss of a being. And um, this dog, I think her last service to me was that she taught me how to grieve, right? And. you know also now with morning with with mourning ben um, you know I want to go full circle to the end the statement and wonder, are we projecting love to echo Merley's point are we projecting innocence and are we living a desire while having these emotions and projections and feelings
0: so let me, I, I want to further riff off this projection concept, partly because I, I, I think you're right. Jens, re, you really offered a brilliant insight, which whether it is accurate or not, I think is, is secondary to the role that projection plays. Because allow me to throw a whole other curveball into this. And, and Jeanette, I wouldn't mind you trying to address this. Everyone knows that the pandemic uh, had a huge impact on the pet industry. Right. In that a lot of people as a result of the pandemic got pets and a lot of people who had pets, their relationship with those pets changed because all of a sudden where they were absent during the day, now they were around and the pets uh, uh, adapted to this changing routine. And, And what I'm trying to get at here is, are we finding animals in our life more relevant because we're spending more time online? If we are spending more time doing intellectual work, doing a virtual communication, doing entertainment consumption, whether television or podcasts or TikTok, does that mean that we need more physical interaction? And if all the other humans are locked into screens or spending time online, are pets then becoming a kind of canvas for our social projections a kind of canvas for our social needs because we are socially isolated, because we are more disconnected than, say, we were when most of us were kids, when we would spend all of our time outside with our friends. I'm, I'm curious, Jeanette, for you to first wade into this, and, of course, anyone else who's interested. Is the Internet impacting our relationship with animals? Is digital culture creating more of a, a desire to connect physically with other beings and animals just happen to be more accessible because they haven't discovered the internet yet thoughts jeanette
3: i mean you could make an argument that the more alienated we become from our bodies because we're spending so much time in a virtual reality um so yeah that there's the the need to be reminded of our animal side of our physical side that we are embodied intelligences we're not purely abstract beings um grows exponentially and that perhaps that is a a sort of a patch that we are applying um so yeah that absolutely could be part of what's happening um i mean this you know you bring in the social thing which i think is i don't want to jump the gun into next week's salon but I think the role of emotion and sociability is kind of that interesting uh, point where mind and thinking um, overlap with emotion and instinct. And uh, yes, perhaps because these are things that um, we are experiencing increasingly in a sort of atomistic virtual format in the digital world, there is a heightened need to be reconnected to the body, to the earth, to what is animal in us through other animals um who are who don't have that emphasis, right? As far as I know, Jen here is not online, although who knows yeah
0: she I'll, is, I'll she have is. to I'll have to check our internet usage stats. Andrea, you got your hand up, please.
6: yeah, I'm just gonna observe that, know, yeah, the trend you know, because we were isolated during COVID, people are looking for that emotional support. And you see that with emotional support animals, like, you know, crazy people bringing their peacocks or whatever on a plane and they had to like cut that down. And I think it's because people are more isolated, they feel that having another sentient being with them gives them some way to release their emotions, feel connected. And I reflect back I have a friend that grew up in Africa and he thought it was really funny that, you know, I put a coat on my dog in the winter time is like we had dogs and they lived outside and you know they ate whatever that we had and it was just a different relationship because culturally it was just the dog served a function to protect the chickens and it wasn't something that they got anything out of the dog except for it protected the chickens where I live alone and my dog gives me some kind of emotional connection with the universe and I can go outside and socialize because I have to walk him. And it's just the dynamics I think are everybody's different. And I think that's the observation.
0: Right on. Uh, Jan and then Jens.
1: Yeah, so uh, I mean we uh, briefly talked here about are pets more relevant and uh, digital and social media uh, make their way into the discussion. I want to briefly share an observation uh, of an incident that uh, I had with my daughter when she was about four and a half years old. And this went as uh, follows. And at that point, trust me, she was not uh, you know, living uh, on the internet and uh, in social media land yet. But what she did was she played a lot with uh, figures, right? So My Little Pony, Playmobil, et cetera. And she had a lot of Playmobil sets with all kinds of animals and people. And regularly, she was she was a great kid playing on her own. She would sit in her room and then you know build up these huge landscapes. And um, you know usually there weren't any people in those landscapes. And one day I was basically playing with her. And as she was going through her box, she took the, the, the animals out and placed them into a location and threw the people into the corner of her room. And, um, you know, obviously, as a dad, you say, oh, my God, what's happening with, your, with my child? I ask her, um, Anna, why, why don't you play with the people? And the blunt answer was, I don't like people, which, you know, scared the hell out of me, right? Obviously, my kid is doing fine he uh, does not have any kind of um, psychological damage that I am aware of, but um, I found it really, really telling that um, a four and a half or five year old who went to preschool of America in Manhattan, etc., was already more drawn to animals than to people. And I'm wondering whether it's more expectations in nowadays society that uh, pull us away from people and towards animals because as I established at the beginning, the expectations that animals have towards us are pretty clear and pretty basic and simple, right? Is that maybe the reason why my five-year-old daughter didn't want to have anything to do with, with humans when she was playing?
0: I mean, I think that simplicity and complexity is definitely a part of it, that we can yeah. retreat into these animal worlds and feel as if they're not as complicated or overwhelming as the, the nature of human society, which is complicating yeah. and which is overwhelming. Jens, I noticed you a few times uh, 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 making faces, so I'm hoping you're bringing another provocation. to. Uh, no,
2: no, 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 no provocation. No, so. no, no, I'm just I'm following the discussion. And I'm wondering, uh, what is actually the the role of an animal? What is the role of an animal? Is the role of an animal solving human problems, psychological problems? Is that the role of an animal? Are they born to do this? I mean, poor animals. No one asks them. They they cannot talk. So it's a really I don't know. I mean, I I think I'm 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 a I'm a more or less rational type person, right? So. I, I don't believe that I need an animal to solve my problems. so The gut um, biome. The gut biome.
0: Well, let's hold on to that, Jan, because I think that's really important. And David threw up his hand, so I'm going to throw to him as well. But I think, Jens, you're talking about context. Because on a farm, that's an easy answer. Every animal has a job. If they don't have a job, they don't belong on the farm, right, in terms of but a dog what, what, protecting. What, what
2: job? Uh, what job do you mean?
0: Well, like dogs protect the other animals. Yes, yes okay. Right? Okay. You know, the, the goats eat the shrubs or provide milk, right? So, everyone in, in the farm context, that's clear. But in the non farm context, I think that's a very insightful question, right? Because I think a lot of the tasks that we are expecting animals to perform, to Jens, your point, they may not be prepared, except for dogs. Dogs, ironically, I think, have an evolutionary tract that is uh, intertwined with humans. And I think the way in which dogs have evolved in terms of their human relationships may actually allow them to be the service animals and the companions that many people offer. Now, cats, I'm not so sure. Jan will have to, you know, weigh in on whether cats are just getting a free ride, or as to whether they're actually sort of performing a function. But before we,
2: rabbits rabbits? as well,
0: excellent point. I have two rabbits, one dog and two rabbits. Yes, rabbits are are great lawn mowers, right? Rabbits can uh, uh, facilitate uh, a clearing of foliage in your garden, but can rabbits be emotional companions? Uh, That's, I think, a really puzzling question. Where dogs? I could answer that easily. Rabbits? I don't have that experience. Now, uh, David did raise his hand, so I want to throw to David and acknowledge that. And Merle, I saw you uh, pose a question in the chat that I'm going to also draw you in uh, uh, to emphasize. And Jan, I very much want you to talk about the biota and biome. So we've got a good bunch of issues stacked up, but please, David, you wanted to jump in.
4: Oh, well, um, two things. One, in response to Jim's, um, you know, there um, are border collies can herd sheep, and my Wheaton can't. On the other hand, my Wheaton, given the right circumstances, would be an expert hunter of rats in marshes. And that's about the only thing that they can usefully do. So there there are, you know, Animals do get created with specific capabilities that that are unique. And then I wanted to comment on Jeanette's um, comment regarding um, isolation and the Internet and with a question. My youngest grandson, who's a young man, uh, didn't COVID because it allowed him to stay home and play video games in his multiplayer universe. And I, I don't know much about that experience. So I'm wondering, that I'm, cons- I'm thinking that there are young people who, you know, of, a, of generations, um, younger than us, obviously, who live in that virtual world, and without a lot of connection with the outside, and it's a preferred state. And I'm wondering, within those virtual worlds, do people have pets
0: that are virtual? Merlin, really? have you ever had a virtual pet?
5: Well, back in the day, I don't know how popular they are now, but there was uh, webkins And you could buy the plush toy in a store and then type in a code on the website and have that plush toy you know, in a game, which you could then build a house for it and spend more money on in-app purchases and whatever else uh there's also the the tamagotchi which is like a much older and uh kind of more established form of the virtual pet and people get very attached to their tamagotchis i've never had a tamagotchi thankfully i did really want one at one point but i think you, you know as much as you can simulate uh in terms of that structured relationship uh prescribed by our terms of love you're definitely missing uh, a lot of the the dynamics of a real live animal
0: well and in particular the bacteria that a real anima animal carries with it and that was the point jan that you were trying to make about the biome and the biota would you care to elaborate on that
1: yeah, but briefly I want to uh, take it to uh, what Merley just mentioned with regards to the Tamagotchi. So I did have one, Murley, and then um, much, much earlier than that, and, and maybe Jesse, you remember that, I also played, uh, I think on my Commodore 64, a game called LCP, which was called Little Computer People. Do you remember this? Yes. Yeah? And, I mean, at the end of the day, I think... You know these kind of electronic versions to me come more down to us trying to play god and exercise power over something right because we do not get that physical experience that we get with uh, real life animals and this is where we get to uh, bacteria and everything that uh, involves physicality with those uh, animals it is uh, i think scientifically proven that children who grow up in households with animals such as dogs or cats um, you know tend to um, uh, be less prone to sickness and have more antibodies in their systems than, animal, uh, than an- animals than, than children who grow up in households that are absolutely clean uh, the same counts for uh, the gut biome patients who uh, have stomach problems because they just come off antibiotics they are being told hey if you have a dog at home cuddle with the dog and while you cuddle with the dog bury your nose in the dog's fur and inhale because with that you inhale bacteria microbes that are really really important for your system and you know you out of all the people here on this call and should be aware of this so but but the emotional benefits the emotional benefits are also measurable. The emotional benefits when you pet a dog, when you experience or show affection, are really, really important for emotional and mental health too.
0: But maybe you just created a phenomenological Mm. bridge that unites Jens' argument that Mm. animals, that we don't love animals, and Jan, your argument about a larger kind of biological benefit maybe what we experience as love is just the euphoria of added bacteria, right? We're getting good bacteria off the animal that creates the euphoria of love and we think we're in love, but in fact, we're just getting the bacteria we need and it's our system rewarding us. Because ironically, what I witness at our house is the dogs run into the pasture, they eat the horse's poop, and then they come and they lick our faces. And Murley, Murley even goes further. Murley has this ritual with our dog Harriet where he puts the cheese in his mouth and has the cheese hanging from his mouth and allows Harriet to eat the other piece of cheese as if it's a kiss, right? And so that love is actually just the transference of bacteria from the <laughs> horse from the horse to the dog to merlin in the age of fetal
1: transplants why not uh, you know french kiss a horse with cheese
0: I right right but we joke but the science is there right the science yeah. is that we do need that bacteria we do need that diversity of uh, microorganisms that we get from these other animals maybe love is just the uh, experience that we project onto it because we're getting that relationship. But the other side to this, which Jens also kind of evoked earlier that I want to tease out, is this whole idea of did we domesticate dogs or did dogs domesticate us? Because there's a lot of really interesting research that suggests that it's actually a bi-directional relationship that you know, homo sapiens and wolves kind of evolved together and that homo sapiens would not have become the predominant kind of uh, hominid had we not had canids as our allies, right? Had we not matched with dogs. But anytime dogs are trying to get a treat from me, I feel that I'm the one being taken advantage of. I feel that I'm the one who's been domesticated and they're just using me. Right, They're the ones who are the primary beneficiary of the relationship. So it makes me wonder, to what extent do we perceive ourselves falsely as animals who have lordship or who have superiority over other animals when, in fact, maybe that too is an illusion, right? Maybe we are actually subject to all these animals and we just... Yeah, exactly, right? Jens here, he's got to feed the rabbits. He's got to feed the dogs. How often have your rabbits fed you, Jens? How often have they made dinner for you, right? And and this is why I kind of wonder, maybe we are kidding ourselves to think that we are superior to the animals when, in fact, we're just trying to keep up. Jeanette, yep. you were sort of nodding there. Go ahead, Jens. No, 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 I'm, I'm okay. Jeanette.
3: Well, I don't know why we have to think about it in purely hierarchical terms. Um, I will just add that it's not easy to domesticate an animal. Um, There has to be something in it for the animals. It it doesn't work otherwise. That's why there are many animals out there that have not been successfully domesticated. Uh, It is a two-way street. They have to be getting something out of the relationship um, for the initial contact to work. Really? So, you know.
5: I mean, I think there's also the uh, the difference between domestication and captivity. We have animals in the zoo that are not domesticated per se, but they're held in captivity. And then you get to the sort of the notion of like, where does that line, where is that drawn? Because obviously, your your little uh, sausage dog is not going to go hunting for itself. But at one point, its ancestor would have been providing for itself and potentially hunting you. So, was its
0: ancestor the dog or the sausage? <laughs> exactly. The question. But what is... I
5: find,
1: what I find super interesting in this context is uh, how you know this elu- evolutionary thing even happened to begin with, right? Similarly to house plants. So if you if 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 you think back, at one point, uh, you know. Uh, humans started to build uh, little huts or sheds or shelter, right, in order to somewhat protect themselves from the forces of nature, even separate themselves from nature. Then at the beginning, they had to live the far- have the farm animals live inside the human shelter for heat and survival reasons. But basically, humans did everything to push nature away from us and separate ourselves from it. And then, you know, we uh, open the back door again and uh, trade snakes, chinchilla, uh, rats uh, and whatnot in order to bring them back into the house that we built in order to keep everything out. So, you know, there has to be something that this gives us that creates this desire for us to let nature back in.
0: I mean, the obvious answer is ecosystems. Right. Mm. We're foolish when we avoid ecosystems. We're rewarded when we understand and embrace them. Hence why, you know, I'm surprised, Jan, you haven't brought yet brought up the subject of dating and animals and how dating with pets can be an issue. And I say this because it's a miracle that Jeanette and I got together because initially I refused to date anyone who had cats. And well, uh, well, partly because of an allergy, right? But partly as a prejudice. Versus now, I'm asking Jeanette to bring cats into our house, so that we hmm. keep the mice at bay. To your point about changing the way we think of shelter and protection. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a it's a serious thing. Uh, The singles amongst us, right? The dating platforms have basically a button, a sticker that you can include to your profile that says pet free. Uh, or not, and uh, even if everything goes relatively smoothly, uh, smoothly. Not so long ago, not so long ago, Ben was still alive. I was out on a date, and after the date, uh, the date and I went back to my apartment, and this is where the sharing stops. But an hour later, the date fled my apartment again. Uh, you know, rubbing her eyes, and a day later, I got a text message, and the text message read, "Jan, I." I'm a bit of a neat freak, uh, and I have a cat allergy, and I feel uncomfortable in your house. You are a great guy, but we are not a good match. There you go, you know?
0: But maybe people who discriminate against animals fundamentally are not a good match for you, Jan.
1: Uh, absolutely not. And I mean, you know, cats over women. That's what I say. Oh, no, this is not, not, not a good thing to say here on this call. Sorry, that came out the wrong way. Don't worry, we'll way. clip
0: that and put it. I don't on mean the it. I
1: didn't mean it this way. I didn't mean it this way. No.
0: Any. Oh, yes. Jens, go ahead. Well Actually, John, uh, one uh, short
2: story from from the from the very past. I used to have a girlfriend uh, who had uh, also pets in her house and uh, these were uh, spiders. So uh, she she had um, (laughs) four big bird spiders this size and uh, they all had names and I hate spiders. I hate spiders. And then I came in the the living room and said, oh, okay, what's this? And I expected, I don't know, turtle or whatever. And there was this (laughs) spider (laughs) coming out of the hole. (laughs) I was going crazy. And I thought, oh God, where? (laughs) What's this? Uh, so, um, in the over the time, I I, I got used to it, but uh, it was very difficult <laughs> difficult for for me because uh, there was a one spider who was very active. It was a female, female brown bird spider, a very active one, and it could jump and uh, could jump over the uh, I don't know what it was called terrarium, and then it was lost in the, in the in the flat. <laughs> Oh God! Oh God! Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, oh, and awful.
0: You you must have had a really strong crush on this woman to allow your arachnophobia to persist amidst, especially with one on the loose. That would have been terrifying. I mean, there
2: there were some other adventures.
0: So uh, yeah. yes, it sounds like one would assume therapy from this.
2: Yes,
1: but, it, but, but it's, an, a,
0: sure. I, I think, a very important point, that someone's pest is another person's pet. Right. Right? That it is very subjective. Like, I, I can't think of, I mean, Jeanette's point about there are some animals that have not been domesticated. But any animal that could be domesticated, any insect, any reptile, someone has. And someone has that as a pet, no matter how weird, no matter how dangerous, no matter how questionable. And I think that speaks to the subjective nature of our relationship with animals. That if anything, in exploring our relationship with animals, it tells us more about ourselves than it does the animal. It tells us more about what we project, what we desire, what we wish for as a society And so in closing, I think it's kind of funny that some companies have like dog days where they encourage people to bring their dog into the office. I wonder if we're going to start to see more animal friendliness in society. And I say this not just on the level of dogs or of cats, but other types of pets. I mean, I saw a TikTok video of a little girl riding her cow to school. And she would literally ride her cow to school there and back. And granted, that's a farming community, so it's a little more normalized. But I do wonder if we're going to see an increase in the kind of uh, diversity of living with animals. Because I think we got a lot of insights today that I will summarize as our psychology can be easier accessed, can be accessed more easily by looking at our relationship with animals, right? If I'm dating someone and I look at their relationship with animals, that might tell me more about that person than it would a questionnaire or something that would say about them. Similarly, if you're entering a business relationship with someone, understanding their relationship with their animals might give you other insights into their character. So I I think as with all of our salons, this has provided us with some unexpected insights, but also unexpected depths about the way that these relationships kind of intersect with each other. And it's a great setup to next week's conversation, which is what is the relationship between the body and the mind, right? Is the mind uh, in control of the body? Is the body in control of the mind? Or is that distinction outdated? And should we be looking at the two together Merle is going to be coming up with something provocative for us to wrap our heads around, so we'll be looking forward to that. Any final thoughts before we conclude? Always have have a a pocket full of treats so that if you see an animal coming towards you, you've got something (laughs) yummy to offer them.